The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Now more than ever, we are working and socializing digitally. That means more Slack messages, emails, Zoom meetings. For more than a year and a half, a lot of us who never expected to work from home. We have been communicating digitally with our colleagues, and it can be very hard to read a room, to pick up on any sort of body language or social cues. Now we've all misinterpreted a message, put an exclamation mark at the wrong time, or read per my last email and thought, oof, they must be upset. So how do we communicate effectively in this new world? How do we read the digital room? Well, we've got the perfect guest to guide us this week. It's Erica Dewan. Erica's a collaboration expert and the author of Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Erica's going to teach us the laws of digital communication. Yes, there are laws. She'll outline the mistakes we make, and she'll give us a cheat sheet for how to get a lot better fast. As it happened, the first thing I wanted to talk about was this email exchange I'd had with my own manager. He'd sent this message, and it had an emoji. Emojis drive me nuts. This one, it was that smiley face one with the tears, and I couldn't figure out if it was a sarcastic smiley face or, like, a happy one. I didn't know how to respond, and I know it might seem small, but our workdays are made of these types of decisions. Here's Erica. So let's decode this back and forth exchange, Jesse. And we all know research shows roughly 60 to 80% of our communication is our nonverbal body language. In this scenario, right. that body language hasn't disappeared. It just transformed into emojis, into digital language. So the first thing we have to decode in this exchange is something we always have to ask when we're sending and receiving digital messages. Who has more or less power? And how much do we trust each other? By nature of answering those two questions, we can decode why you are reacting the way you would. If you got that message, maybe from a girlfriend, a peer at work, you may not have had that same reaction, but the implied power level instantly caused you to confuse what that emoji means. Now, secondly, that emoji in many ways is like the new facial expression. The reality is though, emojis can mean different things. A happy emoji can sometimes mean happiness or excitement. It can also mean passive aggressiveness. And last but not least, in certain cases, it can show resentment. Since I didn't know how to interpret his email, I couldn't figure out how to respond. Seriously, I worried about it for a full day before I finally typed back one word, few. Like the emoji, you could read it either way, like I was actually relieved or like I was just being sarcastic. Now let's think about your response, the few. Now I would actually say that was a great response. In some ways was positive and lighthearted. Secondly, it didn't show any hesitance on your side. It was actually just sort of in agreement. And last but not least, I would say in this scenario, because there's a high trust level next time, just respond quickly. Don't rush to judgment. Don't ruminate about it. Uh, And if this became a repetitive pattern, maybe pick up the phone. But in this case, let it go. 
So you couldn't have known before the pandemic began that we would need a handbook called Digital Body Language in the spring of 2021, Erica. So I want to begin by asking you, how the heck did you get to this topic in this book? I grew up as a shy and introverted girl in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My parents were Indian immigrants, which meant that at home we spoke Hindi and Punjabi. So when I got to school, I struggled to find my voice. I had accented English in every report card from kindergarten through 12th grade. Every teacher gave me good grades, but they all said, I wish Erica spoke up more in class. And because I was so shy, I developed one key skill, deciphering other people's body language. I knew that the popular girls would keep their heads high, the cool kids slouch during school assemblies. And it really taught me that it's not what we say, it is how we say it. Well, Erica, I want to stop you a second there. I just want to dwell on that point a second. This is such a great point that the idea of already being the immigrant or the outsider means that, of course, by necessity as a young person, you had to pay more attention in those landscapes, right? You had to work harder to decode what was going on around you than people for whom it was just the main. I had to learn how how to have a firm handshake, how to make that direct eye contact, to understand, to stop slouching and that it would affect the signals of confidence in a team meeting. Fast forward 30 years later, I became an expert on communication, body language, and collaboration. No wonder. But Jesse, about five years ago, well before the pandemic, I started noticing the same questions from my clients. Why is there so much misunderstanding at work? How do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I realized was that there was no rule book for the body of our language in a digital world. So actually, four years ago, well before the pandemic, I started writing my book, Digital Body Language. And what I really learned is just like I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a kid, today we are all immigrants to digital body language and we're learning how to adapt in this new foreign country. So digital body language is more than just how you present yourself over Zoom, right? That's where I went first. I thought, well, I finally figured out how to have a normal background. I'm trying to remember to look at the camera instead of you, but it gets exhausting. That is just the the icing on the top of the cake of what is digital body language. Digital body language are all the cues and signals we send in our digital communication from the punctuation we use to our response times, to our video backgrounds, to the choice of whether to email, Slack or IM, to even simple things like how we greet and sign off our email. It really is all the multitude of signals we send. And most importantly, I believe it is the true signal of how we make others feel in our digital and hybrid workplace. Well, that is, in essence, the point of communication, right? Effective communication never has to do with what you are trying to communicate, but rather how other people hear you and respond to you. Absolutely. I'll never forget getting a message from a client. I sent him a text saying, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And his response was yes. And we've all been there. But (laughs) let's be honest. In today's world, reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. So remembering that the intentionality of our digital body language can make or break trust, respect, even empathy in our modern age. You do a a beautiful job of explaining the power paradigm. Help us to take a step back and understand how we approach digital body language. And you have sort of four big ideas around that, right? Absolutely. When it comes to the power paradigm, there are four things that can often cause anxiety or ambiguity in our messages, especially if someone is sending you a message and they may be more senior or a client or a prospect. The first 
paradigm is brevity. Now, brevity can create a lot of confusion. The pressure to communicate quickly can lead many of us to take shortcuts, sometimes leave out context altogether. If a boss sends a message saying, we need to talk, versus a good friend, you may think it may be a little more alarming. Or, send me this now in all caps. For some, that could be they're just rushing on a plane to get something out before they fly off. But for that recipient that may be more junior, it could be anxiety producing and they're about to get fired. So we must be conscious to never confuse a brief message with a clear message. The second is passive aggressiveness. So oftentimes when we send phrases like, per our last discussion, or bumping this to your top of our your inbox, I use right, that one all right. of the time, Erica. I'm so guilty well, of the, that The one. reality is, is we have no idea how it's being interpreted on the other side. We may be using that phrase because we learned it in business school or our colleagues use it. But depending on the power level, it can also be misinterpreted as a potential signal of frustration or passive aggressiveness. So the general rule of thumb here is if you have a higher power level, be conscious and careful. Uh, you can't worry too much, but even just give your teams clues on the types of signals you like to use. And on the receiving end, don't get emotionally hijacked, assume positive intent. And again, if you're receiving a repetitive issue that's really worrying you, pick up the phone. It will solve a lot of uh, a lot of that frustration. Why is the phone so scary, oh, Erica? Remember when it was normal to pick up the phone and call people, Jesse? Remember I mean, when it was appropriate to respond to a voicemail within a week? Now, if we don't respond to someone's texts in three hours, they're worried something's wrong. Now, we've continued to evolve in how we use different channels and different language. And especially since the pandemic, video calls have often taken the norm over traditional conference calls. Now, what I've found when it comes to why is the phone so scary is it is different depending on your digital body language style. On one end, I've discovered that those that tend to identify as digital body language natives hate the phone. They love text, I am. They don't like phone calls out of the blue. They expect you schedule them. They hate voicemails, they'll never check them, but they may read a voice note. That's a a little more modern. The other end of the spectrum are those I call the digital body language adapters. These are individuals that feel like immigrants to remote work. They can't wait to get back to the office. They love that quick five minute phone call or that longer discussion. Now, again, if a digital adapter sends a quick quick phone call to a native, they might be anxious if they don't respond or they don't know how to prepare for that meeting. But when um, a native gets a scheduled meeting, they will feel completely aligned. So more than ever, I think we have to set some new norms around how we all evolve and adapt to these different tools and also check our bias of what may be normal or comfortable for one may not be for the other. I've made a career out of covering technology and how it has evolved and how we use it changes. And it seems to change every three to six months. How can we evolve with it without having to constantly learn new things? Is there sort of a rule of thumb that we can employ to perhaps deal with the uncertainty without the anxiety? We are in the wild, wild west of digital body language. And as you said, Jesse, these norms will continue to evolve What I identified and shared in my new book is four laws that can really guide us despite the differences in the channels and the norms we use that will allow us all to continue to show that level of trust and connection regardless of the channel and regardless of the distance. The first law is what I call valuing others visibly. Now, pre-pandemic, a lot of the ways we valued others was the head nod, the handshake, the team dinner. 
Now I'd like to say valuing visibly is valuing others' time, inboxes, and schedules. So regardless of what you use, really asking yourself, am I being thoughtful that time is respected? I'm not sending five email reply alls when it could be a five-minute phone call. I'm not scheduling a 30-person meeting when only six people talk and engage. Valuing visibly matters regardless of the channel as we adapt. What was implicit in traditional body language, the way to go, the head nod, signaling a great job, must be explicit in our digital body language. We have to build the skill of what I call radical recognition to remember that it won't be obvious the way it was in traditional body language and instead intentionally design and embed it into our communications. Imagine someone stayed up all night working on a deliverable for you, Jesse, and in the office, they saw your smile, the relief in your face. Now, if they just get a K period email or even a THX period, I like to say the THX period is not a thank you in an email or a Slack message. It's an acknowledgement that you received it. So taking the time to say simple things, Great work on this. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness here. Or at the beginning of your next meeting, taking intentional time to celebrate team wins and successes. Can we talk about the word thank oh, you a yes, second? absolutely. Right? Because like, thank you means, hey, thank you, Sarah. Sarah is our producer. Thank you, Sarah, for making sure we're set to go. Thank you means, thank you for being on time to this meeting. Or it can mean, oh, thank you for being on time to this meeting. Or it can mean, Oh, thank you for being on time to this meeting. Those are three different phrases all written the same way. Can I add one more, Jesse? Please Please. finish this deliverable by 5 p.m. Thank you. (laughs) All right. I'm stressed. We're so stressed. (laughs) Now, let's be honest. What what was different there? Our tone of voice that really allowed us to understand and signal excitement, frustration, urgency, resentment. The reality is, is a lot of that is absent in our digital body language. So at the end of the day, this goes back to really assessing who has more or less power, how much do we trust each other, assuming good intent, not getting emotionally hijacked if we're on the receiving end, and not accepting sort of uh, brevity, really always asking for clarity. If, If this is a simple, you know, thanks, that isn't an urgent or complex issue, then it's totally fine. But If you're seeing a repeated pattern where someone keeps saying thank you and you're not sure what it means, picking up the phone or just asking them to clarify what their goals are or what that phrase meant can be incredibly helpful. There you go with picking up the phone again. We love Um, it. Let's go with law law number two. The second law of digital body language is to communicate carefully. Now, I've shared some examples of this before, but I'll sum it up with two phrases I said earlier, reading messages carefully is the new listening, writing clearly is the new empathy. We don't talk the talk, we don't walk the talk, we write the talk. Remember that thinking before you type, taking that moment to really reflect on what's needed can transform how our teams to engage today. Uh, If you send a request by email to a team member saying, you know, I need this report by the end of the week, But then you realize you were hasty, not thoughtful. You didn't think about what they needed. And you make them redo the work for two months on a repetitive basis. You are not creating that culture of communicating carefully. So communicating carefully is about a few key things. One is using clear language and word choice so that you're truly saying what you mean. Secondly, it's about using the right channels and understanding also when to switch the channel. When do you need to move from three or four reply all emails to that 15 minute video call and vice versa? We have way too many meetings that could be emails. 
so that we're not creating exhaustion and connection overload. And last but not least, to have effective consistency in communication. So for example, if you say, I'll get back to you soon, but then team members are chasing you down for half an answer, this can also create a lot of annoyance and confusion. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Erica shares two more laws of digital body language. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Today, Erica Dewan is teaching us how to have better and clearer digital communication. Here's her third law. Law number three is to collaborate confidently. Now, so much of the way that we built confidence in the past was through the team get-togethers, the off-sites, the gregarious body language that got everyone engaged and ready to go. But in today's world, many of those cues are now absent. And I like to say collaborating confidently is to simply say what you'll do and do what you'll say, following through on your commitments, creating a culture of thoughtfulness over hastiness and groupthink. You don't want to be the person that just rewards the fastest person who responds to an email, the quickest person who jumps in on a Zoom call. Collaborating confidently is about three key things. It's about always asking ourselves, do all the appropriate stakeholders feel aligned and identified? Did we really give them what they need? If we just forward off an FYI email, do they know if that's a work directive? Is it a task or is it just truly a read this, no need to respond? Secondly, do we feel like all the correct people are informed and they're cascading the messages? Sometimes we assume we're on the same page after the end of the meeting, but without that quick email recap or a design at the end of meetings to say, who is doing what by when? And have everyone verbally share, so much can get lost. We have no idea when someone is, it has furrowed brows, but we're not seeing them, or even in screen freezes and video, we miss a, a lot of cues. Research shows we're only seeing about 5% of their traditional body language. And third, last but not least, do we feel like there's consistency in communication? I like to say confidence today is less about having that once a week, 60 or 90 minute meeting. It's more like having 15 minute checkpoints every single day and refining how you engage in synchronous communication, live, hybrid, or video, or conference calls versus asynchronous, which is the routine stuff where we shouldn't be wasting our time. Whether it's 
having an agenda that you send 48 hours before the meeting, having everyone get ready to answer questions. And then at the beginning of the meeting, having them share their answers in the chat tool or on a whiteboard first, and then calling on people with diverse or different perspectives. I've seen leaders do this and they hear more from their introverts. They're avoiding a lot of the groupthink and bias that actually pervaded us in the traditional office. You skated over this alarming statistic. I want to revisit it, which is that in a video conversation, research suggests that we're only picking up on about 5% of each other's body language. I think probably that's because 85% of my attention is going to my own personal body language and whether I have like food in my teeth. Then 10% is scattered and then maybe I get around to looking at you and we're in the middle of a one-on-one Exactly. I mean, it is not natural for us to see our own camera on the screen while we're trying to engage with others. So a few tips here minimize your own thumbnail, especially when you're presenting to an audience. Secondly, when you're engaging with someone new, again, especially where you have low trust or a low power level, it can be effective to do two things. When you're speaking, actually look into the camera. Research shows that on the other side, on the recipient end, if it feels like someone's looking directly at you, they feel more of an emotional connection to you. But then obviously check their body language as well at certain moments, but be thoughtful of looking into the camera. And last but not least, I think we have to stop more frequently and check in with others. And I'll give you an example. I know one leader, she's based in New York. She runs a global team. She has team members in Sydney, Australia, London, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. She found her colleague in Buenos Aires was not engaging on Zoom calls. At first she thought he must be multitasking. Then she thought maybe he's not interested. Finally, she said, I need to check my bias assume good intent and check in with him. So she sent him an IM during the call and he finally wrote back to her, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents, American, British, and Australian accent at the same time. They started using closed captioning on their calls in the chat tool and it made a big difference. So remember, these skills are not just for our digital office. They're going to make us more inclusive, more more creative around maximizing the collective expertise of our entire workplaces as we navigate to hybrid work. I love that, too, because it suggests that there's an implicit expectation as part of the culture that people would pay attention And I know that's true in the virtual office. I mean, I really got a scolding from my boss my second day of work when I pulled out my phone during (laughs) the meeting and pulled me over after. He said, we don't do that. But virtually, you kind of never know if somebody has got like a television show on right behind you. You just wouldn't know it. You know, I, I think that technology can create masks. And in certain cases, it can cause poor behaviors. I've seen cases of leaders run important team meetings And they only discover that one of their team members is driving during that time and didn't intentionally create the space to be on their computer because they could. And in other cases where someone is assuming someone's multitasking, but they're looking down and taking notes or typing some notes on the screen versus responding to emails. And so similar to the ways that we shoot off emails and have to assume that good intent, we also have to just set some explicit norms, particularly in video meetings. So for example the video on off phenomenon. Uh, You know, if you want people on video, send the clear norm in the meeting calendar. We want everyone on video. If you can't be, let me know before. Don't create an opt-in. Acknowledge if they need to opt out. Secondly, at the beginning of a meeting, always start with, here's what success looks like. And here's how I'm going to engage all of you to participate. We're going to have moments where everyone shares in the chat. We want everyone to share in the chat and I'll call on people. Or I'm going to call cold call on people at random, like we would in a room, so that we make sure we hear from everyone. I've done simple things like, 
If you're not on video, we're gonna call on you first to remove the visual bias of just paying attention to those on video. Or if we're running a hybrid meeting, we'll have a remote host and a live host and have the remote host lead the first half of the agenda to remove that proximity bias of just paying attention to those in the room. And that's a wonderful yes, hybrid. It's, it, it, it is so effective and I've seen it done very well. And last but not least, that simple note taker that's summarizing what happened and quickly sending that out can really make make this a lot easier. And we always needed that pre-pandemic. We're just becoming more intentional now. So we have a fourth law, and I, I want to make sure we get to it. So lay it out. The fourth and final law of digital body language is trust totally. And it's really the integration. Once you value visibly, plus communicate carefully, plus collaborate confidently, how do you create that culture of total trust behind a screen? Well, research shows that virtual teams can actually outperform co-located teams because the the challenge is not geographical distance. It's creating a level of affinity connection and interdependency, a level of psychological safety and belonging where we have that creative space to speak up, take risks and share different opinions. So trusting totally is actually designing your virtual or hybrid office for that psychological safety. It's about answering three questions. One is really giving others the benefit of the doubt when they're facing uncertainty to, to not ruminate or react or really allow online bullying, that passive aggressive back and forth to say, we pick up the phone after three reply alls that haven't been resolved. We have a quick check-in at the end of every hybrid meeting and have everyone share what went well, what could be improved, even through the chat to avoid turn-taking and create a space for everyone to share. Secondly, asking ourselves, do we feel like it's safe enough to speak up? And it's hard to speak up with, you know, by sending one more email or sharing one more thought in a video meeting where it's exhausting to be in another meeting. Uh, so what this really involves is designing for intentional spaces, for water cooler conversations. I know leaders that start every team meeting with everyone sharing one win of the week, one challenge of the week, or asking team members, what's one piece of bad news I don't wanna hear? Really intentionally designing to ask for feedback and show that you really would like them to speak up. And last but not least, the third key tip that's critical is to design and create informal hybrid water cooler moments. Whether it's co-working, virtual office hours where people come together or Zoom bagel breakfasts, whatever it may be, I'd actually argue that if we design these water cooler moments intentionally, they can be much more productive than just the drive-by elevator chats we had in the office where we were talking about the weather or, you know, our new dog. And instead, ask thoughtful questions. What does success look like for you? You know, what's what experience in your past that shapes who you are today? If, if we can, again, be more thoughtful, we'll include someone that will miss the happy hour or is it on that floor um, and allow everyone to be part of those water cooler conversations. Erica and I talk a lot about the evolution of the platforms we use to communicate, but there's another piece to all this. We also teach one another how we work. We do this in person, we do it virtually, and deviating from this, from our personal norms, it can really mess with our colleagues. In the book, Erica uses this example of a woman named Aria. I happen to know her. She's super charismatic. Aria was leading a big team. She communicated simply and effusively, and there were always lots of exclamation marks. And then one day, she didn't use an exclamation mark, and her whole team freaked out. She sent an okay with a period at the end. 
Jesse, a period at the end. Now for, for digital right. natives, that single stop period is not the end of a sentence, especially in informal tools like Slack and other instant messaging tools and texting. A period at the end of a message can signal passive aggressiveness or frustration. Uh, for a digital adapter, it could just be the end stop of a sentence. So right. what may work and be completely a norm for one group may look different for others. And it's just like traditional body language in different countries around the world. What The way that we may have a firm handshake in American culture may look different than the bow in Japanese culture. Right. And and so that we all, so we all have to learn and adapt together in this virtual way of working. So question for you personally, after writing this book, do you feel like you're good at it? I am constantly a work in progress when it comes to improving my own digital body language because the norms keep changing, Jesse. For example, one recent insight I learned was that the thumbs up emoji in Western nations primarily means approval or acknowledgement, but in countries like Iran and Afghanistan, the thumbs up emoji is a vulgar emoji. It means to sit on it. So we are all learning as we go. And I continue to be a student as well as a teacher on digital body language. That was Erica Dewan. Her book is Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection, No Matter the Distance. And it's out now. It's a great read. This week on Hello Monday Office Hours, let's share some of our digital communication flubs, our errors. You know the ones, excessive exclamation marks, emojis, or constant slack pings. Bring an example of something you'd like to change or something you've done yourself and you're not that proud of. It'll be fun. As always, meet us on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the LinkedIn news page. Or if you'd like help finding us, send us an email at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you the link. And I just want to say thank you, thank you to those of you who've taken the time to write a review. They really help other people find the show, they help the show in general, and they also tell us a lot about y'all, so keep them coming. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm and Taisha Henry. Joe Georgi mixed our show. Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Gianna Prudente, and Victoria Taylor deserve all the smiley face emojis. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>